On this episode of the Culture Pop Podcast, Florian Zeller is joining us. He is the director and writer of last year's big movie called The Father. And in honor of that, Sue and I share some very honest and frank stories about the difficult relationships we had with our fathers. And then Florian is here to talk about his brand new movie, The Sun, which is in theaters starting January the 20th. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Culture Pop Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and stevemason.com. And don't forget, leave us a rating and a review. The Culture Pop Podcast is brought to you by the law offices of Jacob Imrani. Accident or injury, call Jacob Imrani. Call Jacob. Hey, it's Mace. If you or a friend or loved one is injured in an accident, the first person you should call is my friend Jacob. When I did this, Jacob was great. He helped me by talking through the next steps, which really put my mind at ease. When you're injured in an accident, you got to have an expert. That's why you call Jacob, just like I did. Call Jacob, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. Or visit calljacob.com. Call Jacob. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason along with Sue Kalinsky. It is Tuesday, January the 20th. If you hear rain on the roof, it's because it's raining on the roof. I'm in my studio, which is also formerly my garage, and uh, I can hear the rain really loud. I don't know. I'm sure Milos, our sound engineer, will be able to cut it, but uh, but it's pouring here. How about the, where you are, Sue? Uh, it's not pouring here. You know, we've had very different, it's like microclimate or something, because I've been talking to a friend who lives in Santa Monica, and yesterday she said, oh my God, it's pouring here, and it wasn't raining here. Now, it's not raining here at all, but it it, it was raining earlier. So, yeah. Well, it's pouring, you know, on, on TV, they're talking about this atmospheric river, you know, because everything needs a name now. It used to just <laughs> rain. Now it's an atmospheric river. Right. I mean, it's like atmospheric river watch. Dallas rains the latest on the river. They always have to dramatize everything <laughs> and the weather. It's don't get me started with the weather. That's like a whole nother opening for the Let, show. Let's go to Joe. He's standing out in the rain right now. And what it, I, all right, I just have to say one thing since we opened up this can. Um, what is it with a lot of weather women, the way they, they're stylists, first of all. Yeah. So many of them, they look like they're Vegas acts. They're wearing like <laughs> low cut dresses and there's they're actually showing cleavage. It's yeah. like, you know, talk about a low front. Hello. Um, it's just it's ridiculous. They're wearing like rhinestones and, you know, some of them look like country westerns. <laughs> they're singers. on their way to the Golden Globes. It's like you're doing the weather. <laughs> I know you're on TV and you want to look good, but it just doesn't seem like the appropriate outfit. Yeah, well, no, I totally get that. Yeah, but like, I mean, it's- like I'm like like I'm waiting for them to come back from commercial, and then they'll be in another outfit to complete the whole Vegas thing. Yeah, I stick with I stick with Dallas Rains, by the way, whose real name is Kevin Feinstein. We found that out this week. His real oh, name so is Kevin funny. Feinstein. Yeah. So Dallas Range is the guy I stick with. So, Sue, we're going to talk to Florian Zeller coming up. Yes. Uh, Great writer, great director, great playwright, all that stuff. Last year, wrote and uh, directed a movie called The Father. He won the Academy Award for 
best adapted screenplay for that. Uh, today, we're going to talk to him about his movie called The Sun, which stars Hugh Jackman. And I thought, interesting, why don't we talk until Florian gets here about our fathers? I've never talked very deeply about my father. I don't know much about your father. Um, and I thought it was a good chance to do that. So, Sue, tell us about your father. My father was, how do I say this? I didn't have a very close relationship with my dad. Okay. Um, he was not the warmest guy in the room. Mm -hmm. He never really engaged in a lot of conversation. Like when my friends came over, no one, ever, like no one ever talked to my father. And he had a mean streak in him too. You know, I grew up in an era where, um, you know, parents hit. So yeah. he, he hit, he hit a bit <laughs> and, uh, there was never any reasoning with him, but kids back then never really reasoned a lot with their parents. You were always wrong, you know, no matter what. Sure. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, I just, um, it was, you so know, you it, weren't it, close. we weren't close. Um, and you know, sometimes I'd go to other friends' houses who had a great relationship with their dad and, and it, and it made me sad, you know, that I, that I didn't have that. Um, was he, and, and you said he did hit, he did hit and, uh, he wasn't very, um, affectionate with my mom. I know he loved my mother right. and he was, it's not that he, he wasn't mean to my mother at all, Sure, sure. but he just wasn't affectionate. Like I didn't come home and or he didn't come home from work and like kiss my mother. Hello. Um, you know, there wasn't a lot of like a dinner table conversation, mm -hmm. like, Hey kids, how was your day? Um, <laughs> we, you know, there was, there was only one time that he actually helped me with my homework. One he, time. One time he was an interior decorator. So he had a, a, a very artistic side to him. Okay. And I had, you know, those shadow boxes, you know, yeah, right, right. that you had those. to build. So I had to build like a Valley Forge you know, it was like Washington, um, George Washington and all his soldiers. And I had to build something in a shadow box and he actually helped me do it. Oh, wow. Um, but you know, he, he just, he just, he was just a, and I think, I think he, he actually suffered from depression. Yeah. Is that but right? It's not anything that, you know, really, you know, something that never came out, not even something that I even thought about as a kid. Um, but thankfully before he died, um, the last time I saw him, uh, I was at my brother's wedding, which was a destination wedding in Georgia. Okay. And my parents' hotel room was next door to mine. And I went into their room to just hang out and talk with them one night. And, um, we talked late into the night and it was the most I ever talked to my father. Hmm. And we talked about our relationship. And I asked him questions about why he was the way he was and how come he didn't have more warmth and, and, and didn't show affection. And he said, it's just something that I just can't do. Wow. He said, I do love you. And I, and I love your mom. But what interesting thing he said to me, he, uh, Oh, I told him I was in therapy. Mm -hmm. I told my parents for the first time I was in therapy and my father immediately said to me, um, is it because you don't like me? Oh, and I said, sometimes I don't. Hmm. And I said, maybe sometimes you don't like me either. That was the last time I saw him. And then at, when I got home, I wrote him a letter and told him how meaningful it was for me 
to have had that conversation with him. And, um, and that was the last correspondence I had with wow. him. Wow. Wow. So, uh, yeah, my dad, my dad was a raging son of a bitch. A lot of the time <laughs> he mm. really was. Um, he was, especially when he was young, super narcissistic guy, uh, was a heavy drinker. And we, part of our role as kids was to call the bar that he was at and say, dad, please come home. Wow. And there were times that my mom would drive to the bar mm. and say, go in there and get your father. So it's like something you'd see in a movie. So I would have to drag my father out of a bar. <gasps> um, was and, he belligerent? Was he belligerent with yes, you? Yes, very belligerent. Yeah, but I'm like, Dad, come home. You got to come home. You got to come home. And ultimately, he would. Uh, my dad also had some DUIs in his life. He had a DUI when we were very, very young. Probably I was five and my brother was four. And there was a big show of this thing that my dad was going skiing. He was really going to jail for the weekend. But they put they put his ski stuff in the car and they put his skis on the roof of the car. And we were supposed to believe he was going skiing. Only later, years later, did we find out he was really going to jail, jail for the weekend uh, for a DUI. But it was they made a big show of it. Um, and he had one later. This was the crazy one. So he had a DUI. Showed up Actually, not a DUI. Showed up at home one night at 4 a.m. or whenever he came home. And the car was wrecked. And there was no explanation for it. Um, he hit something. He, he said he hit a pole. So he goes to the car dealership to get his, you know, the body shop to fix his car. And the guy next to him has paint that is the color of my dad's car on it. And my dad has color, uh, has paint of the other guy's car on his car. So ultimately they settled it, but amazingly the car he hit was right next to him in the body shop and they figured it out. Oh God, that is crazy. So the nice thing was that my dad mellowed out in life. He quit drinking at some point, probably in his sixties, he quit smoking. He was a crazy smoker. Um, he quit drinking and he became he became a much more mellow guy and a guy that you could have some fun with. Um, and I just let all that stuff go. I know a lot of people, it sticks with them. And it's, I mean, I've had a lot of therapy, as you know, Sue. Um, mm -hmm. I, I go to the therapist all the time. Um, and I've had a chance to work through it. But I, I forgave my dad long before he passed away. Uh, but it was... It was a challenging, it made me really codependent with my mom and, you know, all that stuff was stuff that had to be unwinded or unwound uh, later, but he was tough. He was, he was a tough dad to deal with. And ultimately he passed away. He was in a casino out in the desert. It's terrible casino in the desert. He went to the ATM machine. He was always rushing around and had terrible balance. Um, and fell and hit his chin on the ATM machine and uh, he actually became paralyzed um, oh and lived God. for like another week where we got to talk to him 
Um, but yeah, but that's how he went out in 2016. But again, I forgave him for all the shit that he did over the years. And I think I'm better for forgiving him and reaching sort of a peace with him. Yeah, that's, that's great. I mean, I, I, uh, you know, after my father died, I didn't really have a period of like, well, I guess I did forgive him before he died because he, he died like two months after I last saw him. Yeah. Um, but you know, <laughs> there's that expression that someone died doing something that they loved. And, um, you know, my father was a swimmer and he died. He was, he had a massive heart attack while swimming in the pool at the uh, apartment building where they lived. Yep. And Tom always says to me, no, that's an awful way to go. You know, here you are having a great time, Yeah, you right. know, and it's like, and then you die and it's like, I, I, you know, I, you know, you'll never know what's going through somebody's head if they're sure, actually aware sure. that they're dying. But if they are aware that they're dying, it's like, you gotta be kidding me. Yeah. Right. This is the way. This is the way doing something I loved, you know, no, I shouldn't die doing something I loved. This is something I love. This should be good, happy, yeah. you know, um, anyway. Yeah. My, my dad went out paying the, playing the uh, penny slots and oh. Agua Caliente, <laughs> playing the penny slots, which yeah. he loved to do. He loved to do. Uh, interesting. I, I just thought we'd share a little bit about mm-hmm, this. Mm-hmm. this is a podcast and we can say stuff that we wouldn't normally uh, say. So let's get to it. Our guest today is a novelist, a playwright, a screenwriter, and a director. Last year, he won the Academy Award for Best Adapted Screenplay for The Father, starring Anthony Hopkins. Now he returns with a new film called The Son, starring Hugh Jackman, Vanessa Kirby, and Laura Dern. And it is in theaters on January the 20th. Florian Zeller joins us. Florian, thanks so much for coming back to the show. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So congratulations on this movie. It is an incredible study of mental illness and how a family tries to deal with it. I'm curious, you won the Oscar for The Father last year. How did that change your life, the trajectory of your career? In other words, does it make it easier to to make a, a really tough movie like The Sun? It's hard to tell, but to be honest, I think that it would have been difficult for me to finance The Sun without the Oscars. So I would say that they changed something very uh, concretely about my life is that I could follow my, you know, conviction that it was the story I really wanted to, to, to tell. And because I thought it was a story that should be told, despite the fact that it was a tough subject. So is this a subject that you have a personal connection with? Yes, I mean, it was first a play that I wrote a few years ago called The Son as well. And it's about a father trying to help his son, 17 years old, going through, let's say, something that looks like depression and doesn't know how to do that. And when I first wrote the play, it was coming, yes, from a personal place. But I quickly realized that, you know, so many people are con- connected and concerned with these issues when it was on stage, you know. It was really uh, striking to me to see the response of the audience, meaning that people were waiting for us to, after every performance, to share their own stories. And it was as if they were saying, you know, I know what you're talking about because my uncle, because my uh, my aunt, because my nephew, because my son, meaning that there are so many people 
out there in pain and so many people that could experience, you know, what it means to be in a position as parents, for example, when you do not know what to do anymore, you know, and there are so much um, guilt and ignorance and shame around these topics that I really wanted to to tell that story, you know, and, and to try to face this issue without shying away. So I, uh, candidly, I was diagnosed uh, bipolar one about 20 years ago. I talk about it, you know, I'm on my shows and uh, publicly and, you know, I've had real mental health challenges in my life. And what I took from this movie, and this has been true in my own life, when I'm really going through it, everybody wants to know, how can I help? How can I help? What can I do? Um, and it's really hard to help. It's really hard for somebody else to do anything to console uh, somebody when they're really depressed. Um, you know, it, that's sort of, I think, what the movie gets to a little bit. Do you, you know what I mean? Yes. It, it's about feeling important, you know, in front of this kind of situation because it's, he's a loving father. He's a caring father. And, and somehow it's not enough meaning. Um, and it's true that, you know, no one would feel uncomfortable not knowing how to deal with a physical issue. You know, if a friend of yours got con cancer, you would say, you know, I'm here for you. And you wouldn't feel um, uncomfortable or ashamed not to be equipped to deal with that situation. But when it comes to mental health issues, everybody feels that you should know how to deal with it. And it's okay not to know, you know, and to to understand that you need to ask for help. And, uh, but somehow the guilt makes it even more complicated. And this is the story of that film. This is a, a father who is becoming blind somehow because of his guilt, because he thinks that, you know, his son is experiencing pain because of what he did as a father, because of the divorce, because he thinks that, you know, he destroys something. And it's more complicated than that, you know, and sometimes it's hard to accept that there is no simple explanations. This is the way it is, and we have to deal without without trying to look for the you no know, responsibles and responsibilities. Sometimes it's just the way it is, as a mystery, as you know, a matter of fact. And um, this is what I try to do in the film: is not to try to explain or even to explore this pain. It's just to see it as a mystery in a way and to be humble about it and to accept that, you know, it, the pain is so hard. I mean, that we just try to, to be, I think it would be easier to try to see these issues as we see physical issues, you know, in a very simple way and just to be around to help. I think it would make it really, really easier for everyone. Yeah, I love that analogy because it's it's actually an analogy that I've used with, uh, with someone in my family, my sister who struggles with depression. And, uh, you know, sometimes she'll say, you know, I'm, I'm a loser. I'm an idiot. I'm, you know, whatever. And I'll say to her, you know, it's, it's because it's because what, what you're going through, it's like you, like you say, you don't, like if it was an injury or, and I'll say to her, like, if like the same thing about cancer, I said, if you had cancer or if you had, you know, um, and any kind of ailment that you can physically see. Um, you, 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 you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't feel that way. I said, but because it's, there's like an intangible, even in the tangible, it's intangible. It's, it's such an odd thing to deal with with somebody. But one thing that was so striking to me was 
And, you know, we're probably going to have to have spoilers because I do want to talk to you about stuff that if people haven't seen the movie. But that moment when the parents um, take Nicholas home and he has this appearance that he's okay, you know, he's better. And um, I, I can feel the struggle of, of a parent. I'm not a parent, but what it must feel like when you want so desperately to believe that your kid has turned a corner, you know, and after struggling so deeply. And every time he left the room, I was like, oh, my God, I was just waiting for to, to for something really bad to happen. And then he comes back in and then he leaves again. And it's like, oh, but. That feeling of because I I I actually had a relationship with with somebody who who severely struggled with depression and every time he seemed like he was coming through, he never really came through. So it's like I was always waiting for the for the sh for the other shoe to fall. Yeah, and it's true that it's a lot about hiding things also because you said that the parents they they want desperately. To believe that their son is now okay, but on the other hand, you know, when you're a teenager like that, somehow you also want people to believe that you're okay or you're hiding because you feel ashamed also not to be able, you know, to go through life uh, because it, there is something so unfair, you know, and everything seems so easy for the others and for you it's so difficult and so painful. And so at some point you want to hide everything. And that's also why it's so difficult to be helped, you know, because you are It's not about lying, it's just about trying to evolve in the real world. And that's why, you know, I really wanted to work with this specific actor, Zen McGrath. He's a, he's a 18 years old actor. And what I felt about him is was, there was like an opacity about him, you know, as if it was kind of hard to have access to his soul, you know, and there is, you can feel the sensibility, you can feel the, 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 the strengths and the weakness at the same time. And there is something You cannot completely be cer certain of. He's hard to read in a way. And I think that's, I wanted then to, to, to show, you know, what it is, how difficult it is to, to read someone else's soul, you know, when it's someone who is going through this kind of pain. So you've got such an amazing cast here with, I mean, Hugh Jackman, uh, Laura Dern, who just won the Academy Award, and Vanessa Kirby, who was amazing in a movie called Pieces of a Woman uh, last year. How how'd the cast come together and what made each actor right for, for this role, these roles? You know, it's a very instinctive process to cast actors, and it's a beautiful moment, you know, when you are, it's like a dream, you know, you start dreaming about who could be uh in this story and um the way it happened is slightly unconventional meaning that i was starting that process and i received a letter from hugh jackman so he's the one who contacted me in the first place and he said in his letter you know if you're already in a conversation with someone please forget my letter but if you're not i would love to have 10 minutes with you just to let you know why i should be the one to do this part and Obviously, I was very impressed and surprised and moved by uh, this approach, you know, for what it means in terms of honesty, courage, uh, humility as well. And so we met on Zoom and it was just a general meeting. It was not, you know, I was not supposed to make a decision, but after a few minutes, I stopped the conversation and I offered him the role. 
because I was really convinced right away that he would be extraordinary. And it's not because of something he told me, you know, it's just because the way he was in front of me without any mask, without, he was not the actor looking for the challenge of one performance. It was the man, you know, he was open enough to be, you know, just the man saying that he knew what it was about, you know, as a father and as a son. And I felt strongly that, you know, he, he, he was connected to these emotions, you know, deeply. And somehow it would be like an opportunity for him to explore these secret emotions that he has in himself. And it was a way through the camera to allow himself to be himself somehow. And for that reason, we made a decision not to rehearse too much, not to overthink about what should be done, what should be the character. It was a way just to ask him to be without any protection in front of the camera to try to, you know, to, to dig in himself um, and to explore these, uh, these emotions that he has in himself. And because of that, you know, I tried to find other actors that were connected as well in real life with this subject. And I feel like everyone on board knew, and sometimes they didn't have to tell me why exactly, but they knew why they wanted to tell that story. And for example, I remember that Laura Dern, which is so extremely powerful as an actress, but as a woman as, as well. She was supposed to do another film and it was a big film. It was in the same moment. And we tried to, to work with the schedules to make that work and it didn't work. And I was expecting that she, she had to, to let me down because it was a big movie. And she made the decision to, to do the sun instead mm. of the other one for deep reasons. I would say, you know, she's also, She's not only an actress, she's also a mother. Uh, and so everyone was invited somehow to try to tell that story, not from a personal uh, perspective, but still to use what they were, what they are, who they are, uh, to try to, to be as truthful as possible and, and as impactful as possible. Because there is like a sense of responsibility about, and, you know, about these topics and about you know, regarding all these people that are dealing with this kind of pain in real life. So I was reading, <clears throat> excuse me, that the set um, designers actually worked along with the actors as far as how they were going to, um, it, it sounded like the, the film was so collaborative with the actors. Is that, is that, is that, is that a rarity in a film? It's true that it was very collaborative, but it was also in a moment, you know, when it was in the middle of COVID and we shot most of the film in the UK at this very specific moment when everyone in the UK was pretending that COVID didn't exist anymore. <laughs> so it was like we had to, to live in a bubble uh, to be able to go through, through it. So it, it makes it even more intimate, you know, in the process of working. But it's true that the actors were very committed and involved but not on every levels. For example, Laura Dern, she had no access to, to the set, for example. I asked her to, to accept not to see anything about Peter's life, hmm. her ex-husband. So that the first scene of the, of the film is her knocking at the door, her ex-husband's uh, apartment's door. And 
you know, so we started shooting in this apartment for quite a week, a week altogether without Laura. So we were very used to this space, the furniture, the, I mean, it was really Peter and I mean, Hugh Jackman's and Vanessa Kirby's apartment. We felt very comfortable in this space. And then she knocked at the door. So the first scene of the film. And when the camera is on her, that's really in real life, the first time she sees that space. And that's also the very first time she meets Vanessa Kirby. Oh, wow. In real life. So, and, and, you know, spending hours in the editing room, I can tell that all the complexity of what you can feel and see on her face is connected to this, you know, she sees what she's not supposed to see, you know, this new life where she's not supposed to be invited. And she sees that woman and, you know, they, they started playing together, Vanessa and Laura, without being able to say hello to each other in real life. So it was like, Slightly uncomfortable and very interesting to all of us, you know, to start. Yeah, yeah. Kind of process. yeah. So Anthony Hopkins plays a supporting role here uh, in The Son, and this is a prequel to The Father. So when I was watching The... This is a weird thought. So when I'm watching The Father, I was, I was very sympathetic um, about Anthony Hopkins and his dimension, uh, his dementia. But now this movie reveals that he was pretty much an asshole in real life. Uh, so in a weird way, it alters my feelings about the father. Does that make sense? Yeah. Even though, you know, to me, they don't have to be the same characters. You know, it's like two different stories. It's true that both are called Anthony and it's the same actor, but it, it was more to create bridges, you know, between stories, like a spiritual trilogy, because it, there are three uh, three plays, uh, the, the father, the son, and the mother. But it, to me, it was not necessarily the same character. But it's true that I really wanted, you know, after the father, so many people came to me and say about Anthony, is he okay? You know, as if he was really dealing with real dimension. And I was like, sure, he's fine. He's, he's such in good shape. He's just an extraordinary actor. And uh, it was funny for us to to do the opposite in the son, where he's really the man you know, uh, dealing, I mean, controlling the situation, so cruel. And, um, and it was important for me because it's, it became like, um, like a pivotal scene in the story because it's called the son, but we follow mainly the father, which is, who is a huge Jackman. And at some point we understand that he is also the son, you know, and he's maybe the son of that story. And he's also a son in pain and trying to deal with his own past and his own father. And maybe he was just trying to be the father he never had or trying to be a better father than the one he had. And, and this is the situation where, I mean, we all know this, you know, we are, we are always, we are all sons and daughters, you know, and we have to deal with that um, and with all the challenges that comes with it. And so it was probably someone, you know, trying to, who was not capable to deal with his presence as a father, because he was completely taken by his past, you know, as, as a son. So I wanted to have like this uh, reflection about, you know, the circle of pain and how to break it uh, and, you know, and how not to break it in, in between generations. I wish so badly that I would have been able to see the stage um, adaptions of, of your films because creatively just obviously you, there are so many things that you can't do in either, but the freedom that you have in doing a film, like I just love how the shots that you chose for certain moments, like there's one scene where 
uh, Hugh Jackman is sitting at the uh, a glass table and he's looking down and he sees his reflection. And you use that like in the elevator when the door is closing, you see the mirror in the back of on the wall on the back of the elevator. Um, I just love, and then the washing machine, the intensity of the spin cycle, which yeah. obviously meant something about some sort of know, emotional like, churning, like, kind yeah, of churning, thing, yeah. and maybe I don't know—is it is some sort of breaking the cycle of you know of of you know what Hugh Jackman went through when he was you know growing up or whatever? It's just really such brilliant filmmaking. I, I really. Just lovely. Thank you. Thank you so much uh, for saying this. And it's true that, for example, the, the shots of the washing machine, it's something that could be done only on screen. You know, it has nothing yes. to do with, with theater. And, and it comes from, as you said, you know, the idea of something as a circle, you know, as you just said. But also, you know, we hear at some point that there is a gun in that story. And, and yes. the boy said, you know, it's hidden behind the washing machine. That's all we know. And I made the decision not to show, not to shoot that gun, you know, just to have the information. And as the playwright Chekhov said, you know, when you, when you know that there is a gun in, in act one, you know, that it's going to be a tragedy. And, and the whole point of this film is that I think that tragedy is preventable, you know, and tragedy could have been prevented, uh, in that story. If the right words would have been used, if the right conversations, have been had and that's really for me a way to open a conversation about what should have been done you know to help this young boy and so i made a decision not to not to show the gun and instead of that to have some very straightforward shots of this washing machine rolling and rolling and rolling and as if you know as an audience you don't understand exactly what it means but you feel there is something here mm -hmm. going on and it's like the feeling of a danger or something that you cannot stop uh, and something that should be stopped. And it's, it's a way to, to leave an, a room for the audience to experience from the inside with his own emotions. What are the stakes, you know? Yeah. You know, you talk about the gun and the gun being loaded because that was something that I thought about after it's like, Oh God, you know, he knows that his son is, is struggling with depression and he has a gun and he left the bullets in and all of that. And, and then it kind of made me think I'm going off just a tiny bit. I saw a documentary series on Hemingway and his wife never took the guns out of the house. Yeah. And her reasoning for it was that she knew that he was in such pain and that he was going to do it anyway. Whether, whether it was me taking the guns away, he would have found a way to For do sure. it. This is something that, you know, some people told me, you know, it's, we cannot believe that this father would leave the gun in the, in, in the apartment. And I think that this is what people do. They do mistakes. And this is life, you know? And, and also, as you said, you know, when someone wants to, you always find a way. So it's, it's, but, but still, it is a mistake. You know, it, yeah. it, it, it has been, it should have been something else. In that story, this is a gun that he received from his own father. So it's, it's even more, you know, on the nose, you know, something that he should have, um, deal with before, you know, dealt with before. He should have, but he's blind, you know, that's the whole thing about guilt. 
it makes you you do not see what you have just in front of yourself. And I want the audience to feel like, don't do this, don't say that. I mean, it's obvious, but it's not obvious when you're in the middle of the emotional uh, washing machine. You know? Yeah, <laughs> right, you right. A bit like further away, you feel like, okay, this is something that should have been done, or this is exactly what should shouldn't have been said. And it's a way for the for me to to ask the audience to be more active, you know, and to realize that you know. Um, we should talk about it and we should think about it because we are talking a lot about mental health. It's like a, it's like a big topic right now, but I, I honestly feel that somehow we are not really comfortable talking about it. You know, we are using that term in order to, 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 to feel, to feel good about the fact that we are mentioning it. Yes. Somehow we are still uncomfortable with the pain and with facing the pain of others. And we don't know how to react. And, and even that film, I feel that it made a lot of people uncomfortable, you know, because I tried to do something very straightforward, very line, linear, in order to be forced to face this. We have, without any explanation, without any, you know, um, resolutions, in a way. You just have to deal with it. And this is something we want to shy away, I feel. And I think that we should absolutely dare looking at it, especially right now, you know, after what happened with the pandemic, I think there is like a real crisis, a uh, mental health crisis. And there are a lot of people in pain, especially in this generation. And the more we can talk about it, I think the more we can help people. Yeah. Yeah. I want to ask you one more thing. You you live in uh, Paris. You're in LA. Uh, you're in LA right now, right? Yeah, I am in LA. Yeah, uh, in, I'm assuming you're here for the uh, Golden Globe Awards because Hugh Jackman was nominated. No, I'm here for. I'm just living here for one year. But so I'm 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 staying here um, for no specific reason. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was I was planning to stay here for this for the for the weather, but right now it's really <laughs> raining. Um, but I come from Paris, and this is my city. That's true. Yeah. So you wrote a play called The Mother, which was on stage in New York. Is it the great Isabella Hubert uh, played the mother? Um, is the grand plan to be able to present the the father, the son, and the mother as a trilogy with all the trials and all of the nuances of of what a family goes through? You know, there is no clear intention, to be honest, behind this. I started to write the mother and then the father and then the son because I, I also, it's true that I liked intellectually, I liked the idea of a trilogy, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I remember that I was very, I love this, uh, this director, Polish director, Kieslowski. Yes. With the blue, red. Blue, red, and yeah. Yeah, and I love this idea to have separate stories that are slightly connected. Because as an audience, again, you have to, to question the relationship between these or the conversation between these pieces. And it makes you in a position where you're more active and look, trying to look for your own meaning. So I, I like this idea, but it's not enough to make a film. You know, it takes so much time, energy, and it's good that it takes so much, but you have to, to do a film for deeper reason, you know? And, yeah, and right, right. 
and I, and sti- I still do not know, you know, what I'm going to do now. I'm still with the son, and uh, I I have to accept to l- let him uh, let it live his own life. It's own yes. life, and yes. I will question my my desire, but I don't know yet. Well, the son is such a powerful movie. It's such an important movie. It will be in theaters starting January 20th across the country. It is great to have you back on the show. Congratulations again on the movie, and and we appreciate it, Florian. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Stuart. It was a pleasure to speak with you. You too. There you have it. There's Florian Zeller, and yeah, he's moved from Paris to L.A. for the sunshine, and uh, (laughs) 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 it's it's nonstop rain here right now because of the atmospheric uh, river that we've heard so much about. And the sun is, is really, really great. And I thought you touched on something, Sue, that in the case of this particular sun, maybe it was inevitable. You mentioned Hemingway mm-hmm. um, and the fact that the gun stayed in the house. Um, and in this particular case, I'm not sure that Hugh Jackman as the father could really have done anything to save his son. I don't think so either. And that was what, you know, what the uncomfortableness of watching the two parents sitting in the living room, you know, while the kid is kind of doing his little I'm okay dance, you know, Um, you just, you just felt it. You just, yeah. you know, just, just like I have felt it in my own life, you know, with people who have struggled with it. But yeah, it was really, really moving. It was just a, a, a really, really amazing film. You know what I want his next film to be? Hmm. The dog. The dog. Just to go full circle with what it's like to live in, you know, be a pet and live. I think that's a great idea. With uh, a mother, father, and a human um, brother or sister. Yeah, I think that's a really good idea. Really good <laughs> idea. I'm sorry you didn't suggest that. I was going to, and then I thought, oh, God, he's going to hate me. <laughs> yeah, he would on. not go for and that. And then never come. Like, you know, it's it's sometimes it's hard to tell. I mean, I think he probably has a good sense of humor, but sometimes it's it's just hard to tell. Like, there, I know that there are certain people <laughs> yeah. that I could have said that to, but I didn't. I didn't want to. Really I don't argue. know with Florian. Yeah, I don't. I don't know, know Florian. I don't know if it, if it was really appropriate. Yeah. Uh, well, listen. Thank you uh, so much for listening to the podcast. Strongly recommend the movie The Sun. It is coming out on January the twentieth, and it will lead to some really important conversations uh, in your family and among your network of friends. Uh, don't forget, you can subscribe to the Culture Pop Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and at SteveMason.com. And Sue. Those reviews are really important. They make a difference. I know they do. So uh, please leave us a rating and a review, and we will see you all next time on the Culture Pop Podcast.